Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th. And it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor.fm, the absolute best and easiest way to host your podcast and get paid for it by running ads just like these. And take it from me, I've hosted at least seven of my podcasts on Anchor.fm. I recommend it to every show on our network. And other hosts are going to charge you upwards of $100 every year just to run your podcast on their host. Anchor.fm does it for free. So go check out Anchor.fm for more information. Robots Radio presents... Welcome to the Cyberpunk Lorecast, where style is just as important as substance. Welcome to the podcast where we explore the lore, news, and gameplay of the cyberpunk games and other dystopian worlds. I'm your host, Robots. Alright, Cyberpunks, welcome back to the Cyberpunk Lorecast. I am here, your host, Tom, or Robots, as usual, and with me, as usual, uh, usually, usually as usual, I get my words, uh, <laughs> Logan, <laughs> welcome back. Man, so, uh, we <laughs> we are setting up for this show, and we've been, um, we, we've been laughing because of the images that are showing up in the live stream uh, for our segment later in the news that we will be talking about, about being able to augment your private parts. And we're not just talking about the news that was already out there about being able to customize your private parts when you build your character. These are cyber enhancements. And I'm just going to leave that where it is and let your imagination run with this. There are some advertisements that will show up live on stream. If you don't like mm, boobies or nipples, then don't look. <laughs> but that's that's what's showing up later. Um, and we are we are broadcasting live, as always, uh, twitch.tv slash robots radio. Um, it is Saturday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. And Logan, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. 
we had some fun before stream so we'll see we'll have to see <laughs> we'll, we might have to give a warning to people we'll be like all right avert your eyes close your windows don't let your significant other walk in right now because they're going to wonder what the heck you're watching what are and, you looking uh, at what is yeah that? yeah i mean it's not it is it definitely i mean this is the internet this is not nearly the most graphic of anything you will ever see no. on the internet for no. sure but uh you know some some platforms are a little bit yeah, let's you can't really do that which makes me wonder once we get cyberpunk and we try to stream it is twitch going to be like mm, oh they'll be there's fine boobies with it. in that section yeah they'll, of they'll course totally be fine, be fine with, with it, it. Yeah. it's going to bring thousands of views you know yeah. anyway this episode we are talking more about nomads we've got some more details about nomads we talked about nomads a little while back in one of the earlier episodes we have some details about the very early quests in the game that you will get to do if you choose the nomad path so that's where we're going to start out we'll go into more details about nomads and then some news and updates that we didn't quite get to last week that are the kinds of things you're probably going to want to know with Cyberpunk coming out very, very soon. Um, <laughs> Jay, Jay uh, Pacello, I, th- I hope I pronounced or Pe- Pacheco uh, in Pacello. There's no L there uh, in chat says Metal Melons. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm, yep. Yep. By all sorts of bionic parts. <laughs> all right. So let's dive into this. Uh, there is some information now in the wikis, which you may want to look at. The online wikis like fandom.com has an article here detailing the origins of the Nomad quest chain, like the, the beginning of the Nomad quest chain. And and just a reminder, when you're starting out with Cyberpunk 2077, you get to pick uh a number of different, you know, one of three different origin stories. Your, 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 what is it called? Life something. There's a life word for paths. It. Life path. That's it. So you get to be a nomad, a street kid, or a corpo. And if you choose the nomad life path, which we've discussed a lot, I think the nomad is probably the most unique of these three. Um, yeah. You, you have a very specific origin that starts you out and gets you into Night City. So it says here, the Nomad is a main quest prologue only available to players who choose the Nomad life path. The, the Nomad is actually the name of the quest. V grew up in the Badlands in a Nomad pack and leaves it, hoping to make it big in Night City. To get into the city, V takes on a risky job, smuggling a very hot item doesn't tell us what item yet v starts in a mechanics garage in a small town looking into a mirror removing the patch of the nomad tribe they used to run with which seems interesting this idea of like i am no longer part of this tribe now we don't get details as to why but that seems like a very interesting um hook into some of the motivation of what's going on here if i if i can jump in real quick yeah go. i I think the reason might actually be that as he's trying to make it big into night city uh nomads don't typically have the best of reputations so it could be that he's trying to appear like just someone trying to get through the areas through the wasteland and they're just trying to get to night city so he might be trying to yeah, he's yeah. trying to cover his tracks, kind of. But that's just kind of my my two cents. Could be. Yeah. Um, so it goes on and says, Mike is trying to repair his car. That's the uh, guy in the repair shop. But needs a part that he doesn't have in stock, prompting V to make a short-term workaround that should last long enough to reach Night City. After testing the patch job, V is hassled by the local sheriff. We've seen uh, some of this in the trailers. 
we've seen the sheriff come up to the side of the car, the kind of conversation that looks like it gets initiated there, who asks pointed questions about V's presence in his town, needing to meet up with their contact, Jackie Wells, to pick up the package they will both be smuggling into Night City. V slips past the patrolling sheriff and climbs the town's radio tower to receive Jackie's location, which turns out to be a trailer close to the border. Jackie retrieves the package from a refrigerator and they set out. At the Night City border crossing, Jackie and V try to bluff their way past the Arasaka guards. V persuades Jackie not to withhold the bribe they need to pay to get through. A guard pulls V into an interrogation room for the bribe exchange, but V gets the sense that the guard knows more than he is letting on. As V and Jackie leave the corporate property, they are smuggling, revealing that they <clears throat> excuse me, were set up. They are chased through a biotechnica facility on the city's outskirts, but kill most of their pursuers and escape the rest. I'm, I'm assuming this is kind of the first main combat section of the game where you're learning how to move and shoot and take cover and do that kind of thing. As V and Jackie hide in a garage, V opens up the package to see what caused all the trouble. A genuine live iguana. What? This ends the quest that line leading into a montage of V and Jackie's early exploits in Night City. Now, that montage may include things like the dancing in the club, maybe, or some of the bits and pieces that we've seen in these trailers. So um, what I want to raise the question about here is a genuine live iguana, a lizard. This is all about a lizard. What what is going on? What is that about? You know, this this makes me think of Blade Runner so much when because I don't know if you've if you've ever read the book um, uh, for, for Blade Runner. I can't remember the name off it. I'd have to check. But I the haven't. whole the whole book, like the first few chapters really kind of revolve around in the wasteland um, people's uh, like people, families status is based on the rarity of the animal that they care for like if you don't have an animal people kind of question like are you a huh. decent human being so in in that sense um deckard who goes around kind of like trying to find uh what's going on with with these um you know with the as a blade runner he goes out looking for these uh these these hits on people uh on mm -hmm. the replicants he is being brought to the tower where they're building the replicants and he finds out that they have like live animals like exotic animals like giraffes and rhinos and stuff and he's just blown away by it because he's got um i think he's got like a sheep or something or he's got a, i can't remember what animal he has but it, hmm. the animal itself is actually a fake animal it's a dead animal or a robot and it's just programmed to act like a real animal because his died and the weird thing about it is, is that he's trying to find like a way to get a real animal so that he can, he can kind of get some back of that that status that he has as a as a, a part of the community that he lives in so when I look at this and I see that everything that's going on is over a live iguana, it totally brings me to Blade Runner because it's all about how there are creatures that have just gone completely extinct in the world due to how everything happened, like what we all did. And 
it's so cool to think like, you know, something as precious as uh, an actual live iguana is worth killing people over because they they recognize that there are just some creatures in the world that we never have anymore. And something like this could be very valuable to breeders, to collectors, anyone with a lot of cash and trying to smuggle one in from the from the outlet from outside the city makes a lot of sense, because if you're if you can't get a hold of these anymore and they're just out there if you're in uh in in a corporate setting and you have a live iguana like a, an actual live iguana not just some cloned thing like that is yeah. a status item right there you know that's high high quality you know shows your 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 how much money you got basically so really yeah, love the idea of that that's a really cool idea. I think I think maybe you're onto something there. Um, which which leads me into this thought of like, okay, once you can genetically create creatures on their own, does that mean that there's their the value of a live iguana goes down, or the fact that it's a legitimate biologically created iguana means that its status is still high? But then that leads me towards the thought of what about cyberpunk and Jurassic Park? Are they trying to make a Tyrannosaurus? <laughs> And they need the iguana DNA. Is that, obviously, I don't think that's what's going on. But what if what if this whole storyline revolves around them trying to create a dinosaur, and you're, and it's just like, oh no, oh, somewhere deep not... in the bowels of Night oh. City, there's a John Hammond just waiting for this iguana, and he's oh. just like, yeah, I need the it. The main quest line ends, and it's like, na 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 na. I'm going to get DMCA just from humming the tune. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's where we end up with with that beginning line in the story. I will um, I, I look forward to looking into some of these other ones. I think it's it's cool that these are out there. Obviously, you can go look them up, but we'll be relaying some of the other life path beginnings over the next few weeks as we get closer and closer, only being a few weeks away from launch. So. Uh, Logan, you have some details here about nomad culture. I, uh, you know, we thought in discussing how to set up this episode of the show that it would be a good time to remind you guys a little bit of the yeah. background of the nomads, but then also kind of go into some details that I might not have touched on so much uh, previously. So the the interesting thing about the nomads and it it actually kind of reminds me a lot more of uh, like Native Americans in in the way that they have kind of formed. So, nomads are a result of the global financial crisis that happened back in the in the, the earlier two thousands, you know, and uh, they they kind of like we've got a couple of tribes that we're going to be looking into with 2077 but overall there's actually a lot larger groups out there so if you look at nomads nomads are kind of broken down at the top they've got nations and there's seven nations and each nation actually comprises seven nation army seven yeah. nation <laughs> army sounds familiar doesn't it hmm where do i know that from uh, i'll just <laughs> leave that up to the googlers um <laughs> But yeah, so there's uh, so there's seven nations and each nation comprises of tribes, clans and families. So tribes can be, you know, somewhere between one or, you know, 10 to, to 30,000, 40,000 different nomads, uh, whereas like a nation would be closer towards like the hundred thousands or the millions uh, uh -huh. clans are more like a few hundred to a few thousand. 
and families can be anywhere from like two to a hundred. So when you think of, uh, of like nomads, a lot of people generally just try to think of them as small little clusters of people, but in actuality, nomads themselves can comprise of, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of people in these larger tribes that span large areas of the actual, uh, North America continent. Um, and it makes sense. From- like, like you're saying, um, like, uh, these native American cultures, you, you look at that, the, the wealth of land, the open area yeah. that is now just not settled anymore by any of these modern peoples, I guess. I mean, nomads are modern peoples, but they're not, I guess, uh, national what's the best way to explain this nationally inclined towards the united states or you know any other nation they're just kind of a nation unto themselves but also nomadic but yeah, yeah I, I get what you're saying and and to, to say that a nation of them could be you know thousands and thousands of them makes a lot of sense there's a lot of room out there and what's interesting about that is is you brought up a couple things um so Nomads uh, typically do try to avoid contact both with the government uh, of, of what's left of the United States and, and uh, corpos as well as independent communities. So uh, while they, they are kind of nomadic in the sense that they roam around, um, they really do try to keep to themselves. They don't try to integrate themselves too much into the government or into corporations because they don't want that affiliation. They, they don't mind doing odd jobs for them, but overall they, they tend to kind of stick to themselves. Um, and, and speaking towards, you know, how, how cultured or how intelligent they are, uh, nomads are actually going to be some of the more refined speakers in cyberpunk. So if you think, you know, if you're going out as a nomad, you might be living kind of a, a, a life away, a simpler time. Um, nomads actually live uh, in, in a sense that they, they do a lot of homeschooling. They spend a lot of time going towards data centers and being in towns with libraries and really making sure that they're teaching, uh, their generations as they go along, how to speak properly, how to have more, um, kind of, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the, the sophisticated, uh, mm-hmm. English or, or language that they're speaking, but they do spend a lot of time actually trying to teach them uh, practical skills. So things that they would use in the world. So if you grew up a nomad, chances are, car. You're, yeah, yeah, you're going to, you're going to know how to fix a car. You're going to know how to fix a tractor. You're going to understand manual labor. You're going to understand uh, how to, how to do some of the, the necessities uh, or the necessary roles within a, a community like that. Uh-huh. So, so <laughs> I've got this picture in my head of like, um, Native American, uh, rural people who also speak with like fancy posh accents because they're well educated. <laughs> and so they're like, um, cheerio, old, old, old man, would you mind passing me the, uh, the wrench over there? I need to adjust the engine. Thank you very much. You know, well, like, we, we might have to see on that for sure. Uh, that would be entertaining. But yeah, you're definitely going to. That's the case. Yeah. yeah, you'll you'll probably run into nomads who who have a fair larger uh, vernacular than than most of like the city city kids that are uh, growing up in Night City, the ones that uh, are impoverished and stuff. So it's it's yeah, funny because um, nomads like speaking to their 
to their practical skills as they learn growing up in school and stuff. Um, each nomad has kind of a, a role. Uh, if you think of it like an ant colony, each each ant has a job and their job is to either help the queen or be a queen or to be a worker or a scout. Similar to the nomad culture where you've got leaders, you've got the drivers, defenders, scavengers, uh, medics, teachers and workers. And it makes me think a lot of um, Mad Max Fury Road, where like Furiosa herself, she's a driver. Uh, and then mm -hmm. you've got the war boys, which are, are the the actual soldiers. So right. it's and really, crazy. really funny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yes, I need to watch that movie again. That movie is just like, I don't know how long it is. It what 120 minute adrenaline rush or whatever. Yeah, it's just it is. That movie is insane. If you haven't seen Mad Max Fury Road, you need to check it out. And yeah, no, the whole thing right yeah. from the beginning, it's just like an adrenaline rush. And the, the Chrome edition's really good too. I, I was, I was very impressed with the Chrome edition where it's just black and white. Black and white. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's cool. Seen that one. It's really cool. I, I didn't think oh. I would like it, but I've also been a big film fan, but they, they nailed it. I don't know how they managed it with the, uh, with the lighting, but it, it, converts to black and white very easily which would be really funny in like 30 years when people are watching that edition they're like i can't believe they hadn't gotten to color yet what's wrong <laughs> with these people <laughs> why do they put this one out in black and white what's going on with that yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah. so i the more i dig into the nomad culture the more it feels a lot like uh native americans it feels a lot like mad max it feels a lot like uh immigrants where they they have to do what they have to do to survive, but they are very much about community. And that's something that we kind of talked about last, last week when we were covering the, uh, the gangs and stuff. And it, it makes sense because, you know, everyone has to know something, you know, if you're in a zombie apocalypse and you're, you've got the people around you, you hope you've got a doctor, a mechanic, a teacher, you know, you hope you've got <laughs> like scavengers yeah. and defenders. You want the necessities to, to be able to survive out there. And the reason you have to have those is because of the Raven or the Raffin. I think it's Raffin Shiv. Uh, what do you think? Mm -hmm. R-A-F-F-E-N. How would you Raffin. pronounce that? Yeah. Raffin. Raffin. Okay, so the Raffin Shiv, uh, which apparently is a, a combination of multiple pejoratives from the nomad community, um, they are the outcasts. Like riffraff and a shiv yeah. being like a, a knife, like a like a. <laughs> I'm sure we'll probably find out. Hopefully, we'll find out. Uh, yeah. But it's kind of cool that they so they have a community, and their community is very much set up on their own rules. So not necessarily corpo rules or the the government rules. In fact, they recognize those rules and they play within those lines. Like there's a, a moral gray area that a lot of nomad culture lives on. But the uh, Rafin or Raffin Shiv, uh, they are the outcasts of the outcasts. And they're mm. the ones that are like, uh, so in, in Cyberpunk 2077, we have Eldacados, uh, but then we have the Wraiths. And the Wraiths are what the, the Shiv are supposedly going to be made up of. So they're the small packs of outcasts from the nomads that try to live off of the scraps that they can get from attacked convoys or uh, botched uh, missions, things like that. And they're the ones that will not only are they going to attack uh, the the corporates, uh, like if it's, a, say, like a, a, a very lightly guarded transport, but they'll also attack nomad cities as well, too. So while you're having to deal with 
uh, in V's case, he's having to deal with this sheriff. There's a good chance while you're playing 2077 that you're going to run into some wraiths out there and you're going to have to deal with them as well because they're the ones that are going to be kind of on the outskirts of most nomad communities, but also without outside of the uh, the Night City area and try and actually um, try and, you know, try and bully you into either giving them supplies or giving up uh, information or, or maybe they just want to kill you for fun. So it's it's yeah. going to be interesting to see like how they play into the nomad culture but um it's it's kind of cool to, to to dive into this and see just all the different things that that come up with uh nomad culture they they spend a lot of time really kind of eating into uh the the lore and how they wanted to build this um so it's it's kind of cool but uh what did you think of this so far as far as like finding yeah, out um yeah, uh, the 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 Raff and Shiv seem to be like the raiders of the wasteland. Like, yeah. if we were to draw a parallel here, um, you have like in Fallout. You know, everybody knows the Fallout games, right? Super popular. I, I do the Fallout Lorecast. You have you have people who are just wastelanders, people who live in the wasteland, and they have these communities, and they try to make do, and you know, keep each other supplied. And certain people do certain roles in each of the communities. But then you have the raiders, the people who are outside of those communities, who are taking advantage of those communities and some of them are chaotic like maybe the wraiths are i mean with a name like the wraiths you would expect them to be just chaotic and you know just willing to destroy whoever they need to in order to get what they want but then you also have raider communities who you know they deal with these other communities and they might um you know (laughs) request protection money you know and act more like the mob (laughs) or something like that right like you give us you give us half of your uh your food supplies and we're going to leave you alone you know that kind of thing so that's kind of roughly how i i would i don't know conceive of this if that makes sense yeah i'm sure there are some differences but um that's probably a a simple a simplified way of, of looking at it yeah and and we're going to have uh, a probably a small taste of this. It doesn't feel like uh, the nomads are going to be a huge part of 2077, um, which is I can kind of understand why they want to. They spent a lot of time on Night City. They want you to get in there as soon as possible. But um, as you start off I, with uh, to jump in, I, I think they're probably just as much as, say, any of the other groups will be. You know, like, you know, I'm assuming that we're dealing with a lot with Arisaka, right? Yeah, that's probably Probably. the the big one that we have to deal with. They're going to come up over and over and over again. Uh, But outside of that, we're probably going to deal some with each of the gangs, depending on where the main quest line goes and the the side quests and um, other groups of people, Uh, you know, some of the other, you know, Militech or some of the other corporations. Um, And then some of the nomads and some of the nomad gangs like i have a feeling it's probably fairly evenly distributed among all of those other things as like secondary parties is hopefully if that I mean, makes I, sense yeah no totally i i i hope that there's reason because the first mission kind of seems like we're trying to get into night city and I, I kind of hope that we spend more time out there. You know, I hope that it, I hope that if you choose mm-hmm. Nomad as your life path, then you you get that justification. You feel like you get your your you know your quote unquote money's worth out of that uh, that experience because that's going to be pretty formative for how you approach Night City. Um, in, in that it looks like, uh, we're going to be dealing with the race as kind of the, uh, the, the jackals of the, of the wastelands, but 
for the most part, you're going to be dealing with the aldicados. Uh, so last week I, I uh, talked about them as we kind of covered some of the uh, the nomad groups and stuff. But this week I wanted to dive into them a little bit more. So uh, the aldicados were actually a group of people that weren't even a gang to begin with. Um, they actually started out as people who felt that they that they sympathized that they empathized with uh, a man named Juan Aldecado, who was a, a migrant from Mexico City, and in the early two thousands uh, in in Los Angeles, um, this was formed because of the economic collapse. And the reason why they followed Juan was because of a a very moving speech that he gave out to a bunch of people uh, in, in Los Angeles when his son had been murdered in a gang shootout. Uh, and so many people saw his passion and saw his drive uh, and, and just his charisma that they decided to follow him on the economic hmm. collapse. Uh, so they decided that they were going to head from LA to Mexico City. And the reason for it is, is they wanted to go back and try and actually rebuild Mexico City. Um, they wanted to try Which and have a interesting knowledge to know that Mexico City. I mean, Mexico City is huge. Yeah, and that it is. It is now needing rebuilding is an interesting perspective on the way the world is in 2077. <laughs> Totally. It's really I'd love to understand more about what happened down there uh, and, and what caused that kind of a situation that would force Mexico City to have to be rebuilt. Um, so they took uh, their group, Juan's group and a few other nomad groups, and they they went and they rebuilt uh, Mexico City. And they were there for quite a while until uh, Juan Aldecado ended up dying. And once that had happened, uh, his group, the Aldecados, decided that they wanted to take his body back up to California so that they could actually bury him in his hometown. Um, since then, the Aldecados have been led for the last three generations uh, by the family uh, called Santiago. So when we get out into the uh, into the nomads area, chances are the people that you're going to run into that are kind of leading the Aldecados are going to be of the Santiago family. And they're the ah. ones that you'll probably be running into to, to get quests and missions and stuff. Cool. Cool. That's that's some cool background on that. Yeah, really gave you a little gave me a little more of a of an understanding, you know, gave, put a put a name to the face kind of uh, when I think about the Aldecados. It's not just a, a name at this point. It's like there's a man who was followed and loved and uh, brought prosperity to a group of nomads during a time when there was nothing. They had they had no promise of a job or a place to live. So they went and they made their own and they loved him so much that that when he died he decided they wanted to take him back to where it all began and honor him that way so i it it really kind of speaks to the idea of uh family and community which is mm -hmm. an interesting parallel to um the valentinos who are very much of the same same perspective but because they are on the inner city of night city they live that kind of gang lifestyle, whereas the Aldecados are essentially the opposite of that because of Juan, because of what happened to his son. So I'd be interested to see how they how they how you as a nomad in the Aldecados, if you do get into Night City, it makes me wonder 
what your perspective, what your what your idea of how to deal with the Valentinos when you look at uh, another Latino family who is about community, who is about that, but they are a gang. They are killing people as a gang and how mm -hmm. that how that reflects on you. How do you feel about that kind of thing? Yeah, the, the motivation seems to be the key difference between the two. Mm -hmm. I would, really, I would really interesting. But that's yeah. that's about it as far as nomads. Uh, it, it doesn't feel like we're going to get too much more about them until cyberpunk releases, uh, mm -hmm. which leaves a lot of questions in my mind that I'm interested to find out uh, when we get a chance to actually dive into it. Yeah. So hopefully more information on that uh, once once it releases. There's a question in here from uh, Dreams Music Official who says, uh, quite a cool story. I wonder how we will get all this incredible info in game. Will they tell us in books, for example? I really hope there are some books, magazine type things. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a really good question. Um, you know, traditionally in games like Fallout or Elder Scrolls, there are there are books you can pick up. There are computer terminals you can read things on and the uh, history of things is kind of left around in hollow tapes and and that kind of stuff um i wonder what this will be like I, I would imagine that your quest dialogue isn't going to be filled with like these histories i don't think v is going to be sitting there going oh tell me more about the history of aldecaldo you know <laughs> like uh, yeah but there's got to be something in there that's going to fill things out so um who knows maybe I it'll be behind the scenes maybe it'll be conversations that you hear as you make your way through the world what do you think i really hope it's something that is worked into the quest lines um nothing feels better than when there's a story being told to you as you're progressing so you have that sense of like you know you start out and they go have you do this and as you're going around people are talking to you about what life was mm -hmm. like in the history and you kind of build in that that sense of accomplishment with the the with the lore of the actual group that you're with and it's so much better than having to slow down the pace of a game like that to read through uh, a, a book or or watch a tape you know if if they can work it into the flow of the game and keep the game going and not bog you down with having to read you know page upon page i know there's plenty of people out there yeah. that are totally fine with that yeah. but for for a majority of people i think they like to they like to have that immersion they don't want to have to feel like they're sitting down for a, a school session on you know the the nomad list uh, lore and and you know that's why we're here essentially you know that it's it's great for us to have that opportunity to dive into that kind of information um yeah but i hope that some of it's conveyed but if it is i hope it's more just through speech I think if we look at the history of CD Projekt Red and we look at a game like The Witcher 3, traditionally in those games, they've done it through cutscenes. Yeah. Um, you play through a certain part of the quest, a side quest, and then something happens. And all of a sudden there's a reveal that this is really what the monster was doing. And this is this is the guy who comes out from behind the tree and goes, zoinks, Shaggy, you got me this time, you know, or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so I think maybe we'll get something like that. But then again, every time they release a new game, they evolve what they're doing. So who knows? It, it could be um, a little bit more dynamic than just a cutscene. So, yeah, we're going to have to see. All right. Well, it is time to move on to the middle of the show and then get to our news. We've got some really good news, some really interesting stuff coming up. So stay tuned for that. Here we go. Oh. 
Ahoy there, ye landlubbers. Avast, my name is Captain Logan, and I'll be your guide out on the Sea of Thieves. If you love the idea of stealing treasure, cutting down cursed skeletons, fighting off krakens, and raiding forts filled to the brim with shinies, then Sea of Thieves is the game for you. Join me each week as I dive into the news and bring back the nuggets of information that any sailor worth their weight in salt would desire. You don't have to be a pirate legend to gain access to my podcast. Just search for Keelhauled, a Sea of Thieves podcast in your podcast app of choice or head over to robotsradio.net or captainlogan.podbeam.com and get ready to set sail for adventure. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. So first and foremost, I need to welcome our two new patrons this week, Remington C and Heather A. Thank you for subscribing to the show and congratulations on getting your ad free episodes and the other things that you get with being a patron. Um, in other news, I've got my wife's hair hanging out of my headphones. That's weird. Um, <laughs> do you ever have the hairs from your wife and they like tickle you and you're like, oh, what is oh, it's, oh, it's that. That's what it is. Um, <laughs> um, thank you for, for uh, being patrons and for all of our patrons for helping to support the show. We very, very much appreciate it. It helps us keep going. It helps us pay for the things that we need to take care of in order to make sure that we keep the quality up and we keep bringing the show to you. Um, also, one of the things that I've added to the Patreon now is anybody who is a patron gets access to the patron-only chat channel on our discord so if you would like to check out the patron only chat be kind of one of the you know exclusive club that gets to chat in that channel then um congratulations if you're a patron you already have access you should have gotten a notification or something on patreon and if not you just log into robots radio's uh discord channel and as long as those two accounts are connected patreon and discord and you can google how to connect patreon to discord if you want or just ask me i can send you a link then you should be able to Access that channel. You will also share access with that channel with other shows on our network that are running patrons that that I run. So, um, the Fallout Lorecast and the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, and soon to be the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. So you can chat with other patrons of other shows as well in that channel. So congratulations, you guys now have access to that. Also, there's uh, there's a new review I need to read, and before we get to that, I, I just kind of wanted to note here that there are some other ways that you guys can help support uh, what we're doing um, that don't really cost you very much. So, for example, when we started the live stream today, we had a new Amazon subscriber to our Twitch stream, and that's a great way for you to help support the show on Twitch when we do our live streams, even if you... Um, can't necessarily make all the live streams, but if you want to help support the show, you can always log into uh, twitch.tv slash robots radio and use your Amazon Prime sub, free sub. I think it's called something else now, right? It's like Twitch something is what they named it. Um, 
But that's a, it's a wonderful way to help support the show. Feel free to do that if you'd like to. And um, feel free to join us live on, on stream every week on Saturday. So let's get to our review. We have one from Subby's Squad. 2018 uh, from the United States who writes chillest cyberpunk cast five stars and um, I'm curious if this review is going to hold up once they get to these new episodes that we do where they're live (laughs) and the two of us are chatting because when it was just me by myself I was like and here's some really interesting information about this blah 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 but now that we've got two of (laughs) us on here it's a little less chill but hopefully it's just as, as enjoyable and informative and entertaining so they write I started at the very first Lorecast episode yesterday. It's late September 2020 now, and I'm already on 11. Wow. Just binge through like an entire day of episodes. And I just love it. It's truly a chill immersion into the world of both futuristic possibilities and the 2077 game, which I'm utterly obsessed with. The way that this cast is organized is just very, very well thought out. I really enjoy listening to the way you guide us through this journey. is wonderful. Thanks, and I can't wait to see what this epic ride has in store for us once 77 releases. Stay safe out there in Night City. Peace. Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Subby Squad. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And if you would like to help support the show and you happen to have an account on Apple Podcasts, then dropping a review, a five-star review, would be very, very helpful. And we'll read that out on a future episode of the show. So very cool stuff. Let's move on to uh, discussing our sponsors because, Logan, you mentioned the Cyberpunk book. And yeah. the, the shows on the Robots Radio Network have a number of sponsors. You can look in the show notes for links. Uh, audiobooks.com, Loot Crate, Gamefly, Green Man Gaming, and NordVPN sponsor all of the shows on the network. And I have been calling out audiobooks.com because I think this is probably the best deal that we have. Because if you like to listen to stuff on your headphones while you're working or or driving in your car and you're looking for audiobooks, this is a great opportunity because by just clicking the link in the show notes, you get three audiobooks for free, including two of their VIP audiobooks. And you mentioned Blade Runner. They have two Blade Runner books, uh, including the original book based off of the original movie, which is probably really cool to listen to. Um, I haven't checked this one out yet, but I might just have to use my own link to subscribe and just get this book, uh, which is kind of a benefit of doing a show where you get to have these things. Um, so are there any other books that you would recommend, Logan, that you've listened totally. to or read recently? Oh, man, I listen to books all the time. So, yeah, uh, for one, I would definitely go through and check out um, uh, the, the Blade Runner, which is Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And yes, I love the title. The title yeah, is so good. It totally ties into what I was talking about too, because he has an electric sheep, and he and he's dreaming about how he can get a real animal because he doesn't want anyone to find out uh, that he has a fake one. But I would go with that one. Uh, if you if you love cyberpunk, you have to listen to Snow Crash. It is it's older, but Neil Stevenson is just one of those guys that helped kind of craft the terms that have totally. Uh, uh, like created the cyberpunk world. So Snow Crash is definitely one of those good ones. Um, what was the one that I, I just finished? Blood of Elves, uh, which is the mm-hmm. one of the Witcher books. The Witcher um, ones, yeah. Yeah, I've so, read through all of the Witcher ones. Yeah, um, so if, if you needed three, those are those would probably be the three that I would say for CD Projekt Red's involvement, you'll you'll hear some stuff from, uh, if you play the Witcher games, you'll, you'll listen to Blood of Elves and it'll recognize it. Uh, and then 
um, Snow Crash for cyberpunk stuff. And then, of course, the uh, do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. Yeah, awesome stuff. The, the Witcher books are great, too. If you're into the Witcher um, games, the Witcher books all take place before the games happen. And uh, they relate some of the events that get later kind of repurposed for the game. But also things like, you know, the first time Geralt meets uh, Yennefer is part of one of the short stories in the first collection of short stories. Um, the whole thing with the genie that actually shows up in the in the TV show. All of that is in those books. So you should go back and, and listen to those. They're awesome. I, I included the, the link in the, uh, the stream chat in case any of you guys are interested in signing up and checking that stuff out. Um, again, it's absolutely free. It doesn't require any payment at all. And you can just listen for the month, get the free free books. And if you don't want to keep subscribing, you don't have to. So super good deal. And it's also better than other people's deals. Uh, a lot of people are, are doing two free books. We got three. We have 50% yeah. more deal. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> All right. Let's move back to the rest of the show and talk about some of the recent news. So we've got three fairly major news things to discuss this week, and some of them you might have heard about already, but some of them you might not have. Um, we do have a, the system requirements, and this was released about a week ago, and then we also have some information about this, the length of the main storyline in the game, and then cyber genitals. So let's get to the system requirements, the minimum system requirements, and I think this is kind of interesting. Uh, for PC is uh, Windows 7 or 10, and... With the, OS, with the OS, DirectX 12 is necessary. This is one of the first games that requires DirectX 12. For a lot of games, you can choose 11 or 12, but this one, it's specifically DirectX 12. I have a feeling that's probably due to some of the stuff they're doing with the, um, like the RTX shaders and the, uh, what's it called, the, the lighting, the, uh, the light stuff. The light ray, rays, the ray tracing. Ray tracing. That's the word. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Words fall out of my brain all the time. Um, <laughs> processors, minimum requirement processors, i5, 3570K, or an AMD FX8 uh, 310. So fairly low bar for processors. But if you don't have a computer that's been built in the last five or six years, you probably don't have a processor that meets those. But you may have a higher end processor from a previous generation that might still work. Sometimes that stuff does work. These are kind of just the lower tier of the most I don't know, recent, what, three or four generations of CPUs. Um, the graphics cards that are required include a GeForce GTX 780 with three gigabytes or a Radeon RX 470. So fairly, eh, not super stringent on requirements. It seems like most modern systems will be able to to play these. If, you, if you've built a gaming system in the last few years, you, you should be able to run this. Uh, 8 gigabytes of RAM, which has been pretty standard for a while, and um, only 70 gigabytes of hard drive space and SSD is recommended. So, fairly standard stuff. This doesn't seem too over the top. And I have a feeling that's because this was designed to, to work on, also on uh, you know these last-gen consoles, PS4s and Xbox um, Ones. So I'm, I'm actually the, kind of surprised that these are so low. Like I, I can't think of the last time I saw an i5 3500 series. Like my system's three years old, and the i7 that I have in there is a 6700 series. So it's it's a much older core system. So I mean, they're 
really surprising me with just how how low you can get uh for requirements for this i I was expecting higher yeah the recommended requirements um same os setup but windows 10 is recommended instead of windows 7 or 10. the uh, processors include the i7 4790 so we're now kind of moving up in generations here and the ryzen 3 3200g so again still not huge requirements but they've moved it up to an i7 which is significantly uh stronger than an, an i3 or an i5 then the graphics card recommendations are a GeForce GTX 1060 with 6 gigabytes or a Radeon R9 Fury. So these are mid to high tier cards from two generations ago-ish. Um, so again, if you built a kind of mid-tier gaming PC in the last few years, you probably meet these requirements. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 12, 12 gigabytes of RAM. A lot of people have 16 and then still the same amount of hard drive space. It's good to see that it's not going to be like a 150 gig game like some of the games that we've seen recently. Uh, it's kind of worrisome, but I think we'll kind of dive into that in, in our next topic. But uh, I was kind of expecting it to be at least 100 gigs uh, bare minimum. But I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm missing something here. Yeah. I, you know, I have to wonder the Witcher 3 got a like a 4K uh, texture update which increased the download size um, with the 3090 coming out, you know, claiming that it'll be able to run games at 8K. How long before we get a, you know, like a 50 gigabyte 8K texture pack or something, you know, like that could be down down the line sometime. I would I would be surprised if they didn't design the textures at 8K and downsampled them um, so that they have those in their library. They're just not necessarily part of the game yet. Well, that's kind of like uh, CDPR's thing. I mean, if you if you were to take Witcher 2 and run that on current gen systems, it still can be a bit of a resource hog for your system. Even with a top of the line system, you can still like max settings on that game can still put a a big dent in, in what's available for your resources on a system. So they plan far ahead for for a lot of their games and and it would not surprise me if if uh, a lot of that stuff is just amazingly compressed and just has really good textures for the future yeah uh, crystal king in chat says uh, more like 70 gigabytes fallout 4 in 4k is 50 gigabytes just for the textures so yeah it it could be a pretty huge patch uh to to get those very very high quality textures on there which makes sense because people are going to want to play it they're going to want to be able to download it and play it day of so keeping the game size as small as they can just so people can get into it is is probably a good idea and then releasing that stuff later for people who want to see the difference and be like wow look how much sharper everything is um it's probably a smart thing now we have some other news about the story length of the game and i've seen on the internet some uh, some people are a little bit up in arms about this the idea here is that in their data for The Witcher 3, the majority of the players never finished the main quest line. And the the theory here is that the game was too long, that it was that there were tons of things to do. There are side quests that are constantly pulling you from one place to another. And I know I had to I had to play through the game in two different sittings, meaning like two different not play sessions. Like I just sat down and played 20 hours at a time and then I played another 30 hours at a time or something like that. But I, I sat and played the game for a number of weeks and then I moved on to some other things. And about six months later, I came back and completed it. And that seems to be 
I seem to be in the short end of the list there, a small percentage of people who actually completed the main game, which is kind of a shame because that game is phenomenal. Like the main storyline in that game is is great. And that's their justification is that they want people to actually experience the whole story. So this doesn't mean that the complete amount of things you can do in the game is going to be less, just that the main quest line is less. And the um, complexity of the side quests is actually increased. They describe the side quest system um, as more of a in The Witcher 3 was more of a single line with a bunch of branches sticking out of it. Which makes sense if you've played through The Witcher 3. This is going to be more like um, having side missions that evolve and further side quests, which also impact the other quests, including the main story. So it's going to have not only a branching system, but the branches are going to kind of curl in and, and tie back into the, the mean uh, trunk of the tree, if you were to use that as an analogy. What do you think about this, Logan? I got a couple thoughts. First off, I was I was pretty upset when I heard that the storyline was going to be shorter than Witcher 3. Now, that comes with some caveats because I, I'm wanting this game to survive and last uh, quite a while just because I, I love the idea of the world and I can't wait to spend a lot of time in it. And I want to be able to have a content that will sustain me, you know, for the next year. Um, I went through Legend of Zelda. Now, bear in mind, Legend of Zelda has no story to it it's pretty straightforward but <laughs> it is the world yes the world was was worth living in but i i know so many people that like held off on finishing that game because they just wanted to live in that world after it came out and cyberpunk's going to be that same thing for me so i was kind of hoping that the story was going to be longer than Witcher's, Witcher 3's uh, just because I wanted to have reasons to, to do things in that game without feeling like I was butting up against that final story. And mm -hmm. after talking to some people in our Discord, which if you haven't joined the Discord, you absolutely should because there's some awesome people making some great commentary about Cyberpunk in there. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. They, they brought up the point that kind of comes back to what I loved about the outer world. So I played through the outer worlds and that is probably about a 20 hour campaign. And I absolutely loved it. It was a great, great mission, but it is not the way to play the game. It is a way to play mm -hmm. the game. And mm -hmm. it was brought up that they probably want us to go back and play through the story from a different perspective through different eyes. And after I thought about that, uh, I realized like, yes, if, if the storyline, if the main campaign for, for cyberpunk 2077 is shorter than Witcher threes, but I have more ways to play through it. Unlike, you know, just playing through Witcher three is Geralt, uh, then yeah, I'm totally going to be okay with that because I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how the different perspectives go. I, I would love to understand yeah. what impacts you make and the concept of the side quest system impacting other quests, including the main story is mm -hmm. so cool. That was one of the things I absolutely loved about outer worlds is that you could, you could effectively kill everyone and still finish the game because there was only one NPC that you couldn't kill, but you would be missing out on a lot of content, but that content still impacted what happened at the end of the story. And I'm not going to spoil it. So don't worry about that, but yeah, it was yeah. really cool to play through those. And then to find out at the end, have everything like recapped. So I kind of hope that with 
Cyberpunk 2077, we get a similar situation where the more you do on side quests and how that impacts on the actual main quest line, that you're going to run into these situations at the end of the story where you're like, I can trace how that one side quest where I saved that guy because I pulled him out of a situation that he was going to be killed for impacts the the end quest line or wherever the the story ends in that situation like i love i love the fantasy of that because it makes it feel like i have more agency in a game where i'm giving up agency because i'm playing through what they gave me right right yeah i think that that this is a wise decision i often will um i think the public has a tendency to react on on their instinct on things without having the same amount of information that the developers have and oftentimes I will I will side with the developers even when I don't fully understand it because I know they have more information than I do and I think that the the motivation for this is is two things one it makes the side quests more important which is great because so much of the time you play a game and it's like oh here's the main quest you have to save the world and then the side quests are like, oh, go play a game of cards over here. And it's like, if you were really worried about saving the world, you wouldn't go play a game of cards over here, right? It gives it gives the side quests more reason to be played, which, again, increases the amount of time you, you end up spending in that playthrough of that game. Also, um, and uh, I'll call out a Dream Music official, again, it has a, a great comment on here and sums it up pretty well. If you're doing at least three playthroughs, one for each life path, then it would make sense to make the story shorter. It would become a hassle if it stayed as long as The Witcher, which makes a lot of sense. In my first playthrough, if I do a bunch of the side quests and I go through the main quest line and I spend 60 or 80 hours getting through that playthrough and I decide, you know what, I was a nomad, but now I want to be a corpo and I start a new game then I may just want to mainline the main quest to see what the difference is of being the corpo without having to go do all the other stuff again. And I can do that more quickly with the second playthrough in this setup. Um, so that makes a lot of sense to me. I think that that actually adds to the replayability. I bet the number of people who replayed The Witcher is actually very, very, very small. I have a feeling there are a lot of people who got lost in the side quests and they got halfway through the main quest line and did a ton of side quests and collected every little question mark on the map that popped up. And then eventually after hundred and hundred fifty hours of doing that, they kind of went on to do other stuff and they never came back and finished the main quest. And that would be a shame, especially if the story is really, really good because I want to find out what happens. I also want to know what happens because a game like this is going to, it's, I mean, the number of pre-sales already is probably going to guarantee a sequel or more, you know, at least the expansions that they've talked about. So I want to know what happens in the quest so I can go on and do the expansions and get more of that good, good cyberpunk storytelling, you know? So that's my take on it. Couldn't agree Any more. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how each different life path uh, plays out because I, I, as much as I have like kind of settled in on the corpo for my first run, I, I really want to jump into Street Kid and Nomad as well, too. So uh, this could be a blessing in disguise from my perspective. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's move on. We've got our last article here and I kind of teased it at the beginning. For those of you on stream, here it is. These are some of the ads for Mr. Stud. And and on the bottom one says midnight ladies accessories surprise them teaser. So um, this is the big news right now 
in the world of cyberpunk is that of course you're going to be able to give yourself uh, like a metal arm right or uh, you know all sorts of augments into your brain or your other body organs and what body organ should be left out none of them apparently because you can update your genitals with um for example males could decide to i guess replace what they already have down there is that like, are you going to yeah. lop it off and then put in a Mr. Stud? And that's, you're going to be like, I mean, I guess, like, if you're feeling like you're really just not satisfied with what nature gave you and you want to just give yourself something a little bit more impressive for the ladies, then maybe you give yourself a Mr. Stud. Um, Mr. Stud, <laughs> the Captain Hank says, that was my nickname in high school. <laughs> um, there's also this- upgrades for the ladies, uh, including Mrs. Midnight. Uh, I, I can't. I have some ideas about the ways that you could be customizing these, but I can't wait to find out. On, on one of the videos I did on YouTube, I, I, when this news came out, I did a quick video on YouTube. You're welcome to look it up. Uh, I made a re- recommendation that you could have something called the Venus flytrap <laughs> to protect you from, uh, <laughs> just, you know, lop, lop things off if things get... Anyway, um, what are your thoughts, Logan? Um, so this was a, this was the, the idea of the augments is hilarious. Uh, my only main concern is just that it comes with a really good warranty. That's all I care about. Uh, if it, if it covers wear and tear then I'm, I'm okay. Uh, you know, give yeah, me, you don't want that thing to break and then you're like, ah, oh, crap. I don't it's, have the money. It's to fix always it right, right out of warranty too. Like it always happens right past the warranty expiration. So you know how that goes. Um, yes, I think yes. the, I think the bigger story here is something that I wanted to dive into with you because I, I don't have as much experience with this, with games. Uh, I generally play more, like action games as opposed to rpgs so when it comes to relationships in games um i just have not run into many i think the mass effects series mm. and witcher 3 are mm. like the two most prominent examples mm. that i can think of and yeah fallout fallout games have relationships as well yeah yeah so i i, I don't know like you, you probably have more experience with this than I do, but I don't know how much romancing I think I'm going to be doing in this game. Like the idea is interesting and I love that they're giving a, a pretty good um, in-depth experience uh, not to not to make a pun no pun intended, seriously. Uh, but I, I am interested, how do you feel about uh, like the relationship system in this game? Like we haven't learned too much about that. We know that we can romance people and that if people, we know that the NPCs aren't going to be attracted to you just because you want to romance them. They have to be actually right. interested in you in the first place. And the idea of these, uh, of the genital customizations op- options is to try and entice them. So the, the question that I have is if you equip a Mr. Stud, how is that going to factor into you getting a better chance at romancing someone like how do you how do you present that you're like well hey, okay so you may not know this but i've got a mr stud like yeah okay so let's let's take some other games for example in something okay. like fallout you you have conversations you go through the quest line 
with that character, you knock out certain things and you act in a way that is pleasant to them. Meaning like if the character it tends to be more honorable, you don't pick a bunch of locks and steal things from people and just shoot people for no reason because that makes them upset. And if they get too upset, then they, you know, they, they move down the likability chart with you and then you can't do the romance them stuff later. Um, if you do nice things and you follow through with the request line, then eventually you can't right in games like um, Mass Effect. It's a little bit more, uh, uh, a little bit more non-transparent, I guess, in that you, it comes down to a lot of your conversations and taking them on quests and spending time with them. But if you don't answer certain questions in a certain way without necessarily knowing how that's going to make them react, then they come to like you more or less. Um, I also have to call out here that Fev Dweller writes, uh, now does that mean you can get computer viruses now? Probably. Probably yeah. you gotta wear protection for your Mr. Stud as well as your normal body parts. Um, Wearing a Trojan yeah. will protect you from Trojans. Yeah, probably. Can you imagine like <laughs> somebody like hacking into you through your Mr. Stud? Like, oh, oh. Um, anyway, uh, but so for a game like this, I would imagine that it comes down to like it's this is a role playing game, right? Like each character probably has the priorities and the things that they find attractive in another person. And maybe that has to do with your actions. Maybe it has to do with uh, your gender. Maybe it has to do with some of the augments that you have or don't have. Um, maybe some characters are more into people who are muscular or who are more natural and less augmented. Maybe some characters are into Borgs, you know, like. There, there. You may not know what the other people in the world are necessarily looking for, just like you do in the real world. Just because because you meet somebody at you know, like you go to a party, right, and your friend introduces you to somebody, doesn't mean that you know what they're looking for in somebody or what they find attractive about other people. It's you're kind of constantly fishing in the dark, right? You're looking for connections and conversation, and are they giving you eye contact? And are they do they look like they're interested or not? And you're trying to read through the lines until you get to a point where you kind of it seems obvious or not, and then you move things further. You know, if this is done well, then it may be like that. It may be the kind of thing where like you come across another NPC and you have a conversation, and you're like, oh, by the way, why don't you come back to my place and you know check out Mister Stud and they respond and they go uh, no no thanks or they go yeah let's do it you know and you just don't know until you try it yeah so i guess it comes back to to the question that it keeps rolling around in my head is uh what is the what's the end result in a gameplay perspective for these relationships it's something that they haven't really touched on and um, why would you want to romance people like is there a benefit so and how would that are going in? um yeah, I can answer this by giving you um, an explanation of the way I played through Mass Effect 2. In Mass Effect 2, I played through the entire game. I had conversations with everybody. I was a, I was a femshep. Yeah, I was a femshep. And um, just wanted to see where conversations would go with everybody. And I tried. I actually intentionally tried um, seeing if I could get to the romantic conversations with each person. And none of it worked except for... Um, who's the the bluish alien guy who was kind of like an assassin? What was his name? Uh, it's, been a Ger- it's been a while. Garrett? Geralt? No, it wasn't Arm. that guy. It was the other guy. The one who looks more like a fish. Um, oh. Oh. Um, that guy. It wasn't Garrus. It was shoot. the other dude. Um, Morden? Maybe it was Morden? 
No, it wasn't Dr. Morton. It was. It was I know like who you're talking dude. about. Yeah. Anyway, I can't think it, it doesn't matter. Is. I'm sure somebody's yeah. yelling at their car stereo right now. Um, <laughs> anyway, he, but he was a total badass. And I was like, yeah, my femship would totally fall for him. That makes sense. Why not? And it happened right at the end of the storyline. Like they finally admitted, you know, feelings for each other. I didn't think I was going to end up with any relationships at all. They admitted feelings for, for each other. Things moved on. And then we went into the final quest of the game. And because he was one of my most trusted uh, friends among the group, I had him lead one of the two combat groups. I believe there were two that you split into and you go through the rest of the game. Long story short, everybody made it out alive except for him. And that as a player, because I invested all of my gameplay in trying to befriend and and create relationships with these characters, and he's the one things actually worked out with, and then he didn't die, actually hit me a little bit. I was like, man, that's a, I mean, it's tragic, but it's a wonderful story element for the way that game resolved that wasn't already planned in the game. It just happened that way based on decisions that I made and relationships that I made and, and Thane, Thane, it was Thane. Yeah, he was green. Yes, that was it. That was him. Um, so that's, I, I believe that's the benefit of creating character relationships in RPGs. It isn't because it's going to further the game in a way, in a gamified sort of way. It might, but it's more for the personal connection in role-playing your character and your personal emotional investment in in the time that you've spent being in the world and creating relationships, just like in the real world. It comes back, it, it hits you when things do or don't work a certain way. So it's in that essence, I, I can totally understand why you'd want to have it. I then want to ask uh, if you think in cyberpunk, if it will extend beyond just the immersion aspect of it, where it plays into the story, or do you think having certain uh, love interests as your, your partners on missions will give you benefits uh stat wise to to certain situations um, or dialogue know, options it might it might give you the option of having that person along or not um i don't know that it's going to buff your character it's probably more, i mean think about some of the the stuff that we've read in this in the cyberpunk uh 2020 books um if uh you know if johnny silverhand didn't have his friends with him and in past love interests who were still willing to stick their neck out and fight for fight the good fight, then he wouldn't have had them on, you know, those quests that, that they went on and they wouldn't have been part of those events that led towards the other things happening in the story. So maybe, I mean, they, they are saying that side quests can loop back and affect the main quest. Why wouldn't a side quest that turns into you having a romantic relationship with a character also affect the main quest line? It could. I don't see really why not. Interesting. Yeah, it may it may create an element that is or isn't there, you know, for my playthrough and then your playthrough is a little bit different. And I'm like, oh, remember when so and so took that guy out and you're like, what? No, that guy completely. I had to take him out myself. He was a pain in the butt. And I'll be like, oh, no, I had so and so on the mission with me. Oh, what? That douchebag? Well, I mean, OK. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it'll be different for each of us. That'll be cool. I, I was kind of hesitant to understand like where this could go as far as like the romancing and like having the augments as a way to try and entice someone or or you know make cause strife with someone because of that uh kind of feeds into that deeper story element that that i i guess i hadn't tried to push beyond just the question uh and was just getting hung up too much on the question of what's why it's important but 
if that's yeah. if that's the case that's awesome man you know that's exactly what you want and i mm-hmm. i'm at this point you know it's mentioned in chat i'm kind of bummed out because i don't think Keanu's going to be you know <laughs> a waifu as, <laughs> as Fem Fuller says think, in chat yeah i don't think we'll get Keanu to be uh to be part of our our line of interests unfortunately yeah probably not um <laughs> So uh, the other thing that I would point to is the way the story plays out in The Witcher 3. There is an event in The Witcher 3 where you call upon your friends and the relationships that you've made, and whether they're romantic or not, uh, to come make a stand with you against some bad guys. I won't go into more detail than that. If you haven't played through it, play through it. Um, that event can completely change depending on your playthrough and the, the kinds of things you did up until that point. Um, also, things that happen in the end game completely change depending on decisions that you made and conversations that you've had with other characters. So, um, again, if they've implemented that in the Witcher three and it works so well, then some version of that would make sense in cyberpunk. It's a cool promise. It's a, it's an awesome idea to, to think that 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 could be working in cyberpunk. It feels like they've thought long and hard about it too, just based on, you know, the augments that they're talking about and they've worked it into long the and lore. Hard, like Mr. Stud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> unabashedly going for it. That's fine. Let's do it. Oh, man. That's that's the, the tagline. Mr. Stud, unabashedly going for it. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I think we've probably uh, <laughs> we've probably stayed long enough. This is <laughs> uh, turned into silly, silly joke time. Um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I would love to hear some of your thoughts. And thank you for sharing your thoughts in chat as well. Um, I would love to hear some of your thoughts in the discord or to uh, you know send them to us on Twitter. Twitter. Uh, what is it at? cyberpunk lore i believe um i have so many twitter accounts also one last thing i want to tell you guys about before <laughs> will a stud finder work Feb Dweller. Uh, one last thing i want to tell you about before we move on um and finish up the episode um i am now uh, you guys know this streams live saturday nights i have four shows which stream live on the robots radio twitch channel and after every single show i will be hanging out starting next week to do what I'm going to call office hours. And I know there are a lot of you out there who are interested in podcasting, in streaming, in creating videos, any of that stuff. I run a podcast network. I do a lot of all of these things. I work in marketing. I would love to be able to answer questions for you guys about any of those things and hang out with you after each episode. And my co-hosts are welcome to stay or or not. That's up to you guys. That's up to you, Logan, if you want to stay and chat. We'll start this like next week. Um, but if this is something you're interested in and you want to get my feedback on some of your ideas or answer some of your questions or just know, hey, what micro- microphone should I buy or how do I set up a stream? Anything like that. I'm happy to answer it. I will be here to answer those questions. And sometimes that's just going to turn into you know, us closing the episode and just kind of chatting with you guys. And if nobody has any questions, maybe that'll turn into me playing games and sticking around in case you do show up and want to ask questions. So that's, that's what I've got coming up. Logan, what do you have going on? Uh, Keelhauled podcast as always, uh, just giving you guys the community stories and the news for sea of thieves, if that's what you guys are looking forward to. Um, and then going to be in the discord chatting with, uh, cyberpunk fans. So keep an eye out there. If you guys want to get a hold of me, you can always reach me on Twitter at CAPT underscore L O G U N, uh, in the discord as well, just captain Logan. And if you guys want to play something with me, hit me up. My uh, gamer tag is CAPT AIN L O G U N over on X. 
Xbox. Uh, you can always DM me if you play on Battle.net or uh, Sony or Switch, you know, whatever you guys are playing. If you want to chat with me, just feel free to let me know. Awesome. Awesome. And you guys know how to get a hold of me. Uh, jump in the Discord. That's probably the best way to do it. And uh, thank you, all of our live viewers, for being here and for trying to crack us up during the episode. Um, I, I especially appreciate that. I, 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 like, uh, I like when Logan's going on about something and I see something in there. I just have to like hold myself back from like laughing or saying anything about it. That is, that is great. Um, and the questions are wonderful, too. So thank you for for, <laughs> I'm not going to read that one. Thank you for uh, sending the questions out there. Um, so everybody, that that's going to be it for this episode of the Cyberpunk Lorecast. Until next time, uh, you can't get these augments in the real world, so don't go, you know, prematurely lopping off anything. Um, but pretty soon, in the next few weeks, you'll be able to do that in Cyberpunk 2077. So just wait for that. That's probably a better way to do this. It's safer. All right, guys. Safer. Well, so stay safe in Night City. We'll talk to you next time. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to the Cyberpunk Lorecast. This show is a part of the Robots Radio Network, smart podcasts for interesting people. If you'd like to help support the show, please tell a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. If you'd like to get in contact, please send an email to cyberpunklorecast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at cyberpunklore. Also, join the community on the Robots Radio Discord. The link is in the show notes. The music on the show was written and performed by The Midnight and was used with their permission. Go check them out at themidnightofficial.com. Until next time, stay safe in Night City. We'll talk to you later. You've been listening to the Robots Radio Podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net. My name is Brian Burton. It's been 26 years since the bombs fell. Since I've left the vault, I've been trying to rebuild. This isn't the Appalachia that I remember. There's so much more to everything going on. And I promise to find the answer. So if you're out there, if you're listening, just hone in on these coordinates. Remember, there's a place for you at the end. Omega. The Omega Broadcast Fallout Story is available on iTunes, Spotify, and many great podcasting sources. Hey friends, this is Robots, the creator of the Robots Radio Podcast Network and host of the two original shows on the network, the Fallout Lorecast and the Elder Scrolls Lorecast. These two shows have rocketed up the iTunes charts. They both together have over 155 star reviews in only a couple of months with bite-sized episodes that take you step-by-step step through the background of the games and the game worlds. They're thought-provoking, well-produced, and a lot of fun. I recommend you go check them out at robotsradio.net or on any podcast reader podcatcher whatever you use itunes spotify again that's the fallout lorecast and the elder scrolls lorecast available everywhere 
Well, do you know your video game lovers? Have you ever wondered how your video game bays stack up against all the other delectable digital dates? I'm Genesis, the girl whose motto in life is love, laugh, tequila. And on Two Girls, One Ship, we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. And I'm Vervada, the hopeless romantic cat lady and lifelong gamer. But you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of physical connection. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two characters, using specific in-game dialogue and the overall narrative journey. So join the two girls, one ship, shipsters, and remember... Beauty is in the eye of the controller.